What is up, everybody? Podios Late Podcast here, episode 39. Is that right, guys? 39 already? 39, yeah. Yeah, right? Fuck, man. Episode 39. Uh, we are, you know, just grinding along one a week. We did move this week to Monday. So if you're listening to us now, it's Monday or Tuesday of the, the week that we, uh, we're, we're going to start releasing those early in the week as opposed to late in the week. It's just easier for all of us, especially with the holidays coming up. So look for us on Mondays going forward. We uh, are very active on the social media. So check us at Patio Slave on Twitter and on Instagram. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, we, you know, we're there. We're always out. We're always talking to people. We love engaging with fans. We love get engaging with music nerds just like us. So check that stuff out. But uh, tonight, pretty special one. We had, a, we had a guest on tonight. Anthony, you want to lead off and let us know who we had? Yeah, man. So we had uh, Maddie Arsenal. So Maddie is slash was uh, the singer of the Boston-based band uh, A Lost for Words. So pop punk-esque uh, band that uh, started back in 2000 and, and, and called it a day in 2015. He's currently the uh, founder and owner uh, and CEO of uh, Reclaim Music Group. So he manages artists and, and works on artist development. He's also the part owner of uh, Idle Hand Collective which is a traveling pop-up barbershop cutting uh, artists and athletes hair at, uh, you know, sporting events and, and live music and stuff like that. And if that wasn't enough, he's, uh, and you'll hear it on the podcast, he's going to start his own podcast. He's got that in the works. So that cat is out of the bag. So this was, um, this was a special one for me. So if you've listened to us, you know that we've been going to see live music for 20 years now. A Loss for Words is the band that I've seen the most out of any band dating back to 2003 uh i've seen them about 20 times so this was uh this was super cool guys i had a fucking blast what do you guys think i agree i think the fact that we are all from the greater new england area so we have a lot to you know relate about um we're all nerds obviously he's the talent we're the fans so there's always that cool like bi-directional like you're the fan we're the you know you're the band you know, let's get some, you know, real nerd insight on that aspect. But the upbringings, you always, always the coolest thing, or if we're, if we're both from the, uh, you know, general area geographically, because we can kind of relate on a lot of things. So with that said, we're going to get into it with Maddie. All right, we are here with Maddie Arsenal. Maddie, how the heck you doing, man? You doing good? Dude, I am. I'm doing great. Um, well, I mean, great with all things considered. Right now, I'm currently driving from where I was living for the past year in California, LA area, back to my home base, Boston, Massachusetts. Hell yeah, man! So, Maddie, in kind of thinking about how to start this episode, I was trying to think back to the first time that we would have crossed paths. And I went back to either 2003 or 2004. It was a show in uh, Taunton, Mass. Do you remember the venue? Oh, all about records. Fuck yeah. All about records. It was uh, you guys, Lost for Words, No Trigger, Junction 18, and I think the original lineup of Trios, maybe. Oh, my God, man. I, 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 maybe was it the original member? Trios thing is a question mark, but definitely remember that lineup and holy shit because junction 18 is the reason why you know my band existed in the first place i mean 
yeah wow you, you, you're you taking me fucking back bro <laughs> that's way back yeah so like we've uh we kind of kept in touch a little bit over the years just through maybe mutual friends the scene and whatnot so i thought it was cool thinking back like whatever it is 16 17 years later we're still chatting with each other which is pretty cool so we appreciate you coming on yeah man absolutely i mean obviously you know you and your sister have been you know incredible friends to me over the years and uh actually you know it's funny well, moving out, uh, my roommate's Javon Clay. Yeah. And we were cleaning out some of my stuff, and I found some of my old records. And, and the split with your sister on the front cover was was on there, which was which was really funny to find one of those. I think it's one of the, the last ones I personally have. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, we go, we, we, we definitely go back, man. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your on your podcast, and, and thank you so much for inviting me, man. I appreciate it. And to, to even bring it full circle, just to connect the dots a little more, Joe lived with uh, – myself and, and chris anthony from nemus back in the day for a couple months that is absolutely absurd to me <laughs> isn't that crazy and he's he's doing his thing so um so with that we definitely want to get into um some of your early days so go for it nate yeah you know you're from uh, new england uh, we're from maine so obviously kind of similar roots and like music background and so forth we were just kind of wondering what was your you know come up what how do you get into music was there music going on in your house that you kind of like, gravitated towards and how did that influence you you know growing up yeah, so I mean, so basically, you know, growing up, I obviously, I, I, well, not obviously, uh, I was a single, uh, a single child at first. Um, I had a stepsister who lived in Baltimore, but I was the only one, so I didn't really have anybody to really influence me um, as far as showing me music and, and things like that. But I gravitated towards hip hop and R and B. GM ninety four five was my radio station, and basically, when I was in third grade, my mom actually worked with a with a um, a woman whose son was in a group called Shy, which is um, remember you know the song "If I Ever Fall in Love." And if I ever fall in love, it was oh, a, yeah. it was a nice. ballad back in the day. But so he. You know, he was probably like in his early 20s, whatever, showed me like H-Town. I'm wearing actually, I'm wearing my Jodeci shirt right now, but, you know, Jodeci, <laughs> nice. you know, just like, just like all those old R&B groups, man. I could, I could I'd go on for days, but like, that's kind of how I started realizing I like to sing, you know, Boys to Men, obviously, Belle of DeVoe, New Edition, you know, all that stuff. So I really gravitated towards R&B. Um, oh, yeah. So as my childhood, that was what I did. I didn't really know too much about rock. So I started going to school dances. And then kind of heard like Dookie, you know, by Green Day mm-hmm. and kind of was like, yo, like I, I, I fuck with these rocker, you know, rocker dudes, you know, whatever the typical like little fourth grade, like, you know, I'm a little hip hop homie and all that shit. But yeah, then I started getting into, you know, slowly started hearing about things and, you know, junior high was still super big hip hop head like, in the boom bap shit like Nas and AZ, Wu-Tang, uh, you know, all that stuff. And then in high school, I started finding, you know, more punk rock and stuff. And that's nice. kind of, you know, that, that's my that's my youth of how I, you know, got into it. Around ninth grade is when I started finding hardcore and, and punk. So a couple things come to mind just real quick. I think that's the first time anybody's ever sang on our podcast that wasn't <laughs> yeah. one of us. Which is, They're probably going to sound awesome. like shit coming through my phone. No, yeah, no, it actually sound- sounded pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Oh, uh, okay. Let's let's fucking give it a little mix, tweak it. No auto tune. <laughs> fuck that shit. And then, exactly. then let, let's let's put it out. We got a new record. Perfect. Uh, and secondly, I was gonna say uh, we we had a question, kind of wondering how did you end up realizing that you liked to sing and wanted to maybe be you know a vocalist? Yeah, I mean, so honestly, like when I was younger, just I loved to perform like around my grandparents and shit. I would like you know dance around and like you know put on like little shows and dance around to like Drew Hill and like you know what I mean and Boys to Men and like you know do the Running Man and fucking you know <laughs> yes. cross them, don't do the jumpy cross leg thing and spinning around and you know, all that shit sliding on my knees. And I like singing and I just always like to sing. I don't remember if I was good or not, 
you know, but my family got a kick out of a little seven, eight year old running around, you know, doing his thing. But yeah, man, I, you know, obviously once, you know, that, you know, that the, the dude from Shy Garfield was his name, you know, put me on to R&B. I just really started just like singing, man. I just like singing. And I, and I joined chorus class and shit. And I was like, you know, just like, I really just enjoyed R&B soul. It just like, it made me feel some certain kind of way. And I, I just, I just loved it. So like, I just always practiced, you know, to R&B, man. I, I really just, that was my thing. And that's really what kind of, I think, gave me the confidence. And I think that's kind of why, in my opinion, why my voice sometimes is a little bit different or, or a little bit stands out a little bit more than other pop punk bands, because I kind of have an influence. I think that's probably different than most uh, artists in my genre. Yeah, there's a little soul in there, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you don't get that. So I'm trying to think back. So time frame, you're into the the hip-hop, the R&B stuff. So then you said early high school, you get into punk and, and hardcore. So I'm dating this. I'm estimating that's like 97, 98 time frame. How does that interest in the music manifest itself to the early days of the band so you guys originally last ride so how does it even happen like do, do pe other ah, people shit. know you, you can sing you, fucked, you fucking know man bring up last ride i don't think anybody's ever run up last ride other than people of course what do you think this is man that's what we call nerdery right there yeah, homework that's, yeah. you did that homework <laughs> yeah did that homework no that was good oh so what was the question i just got so stoked you mentioned last ride i totally <laughs> i totally just lost my fucking my train of thought how like, do your friends know you can sing? Like, how does that even happen? Like, how do you end up saying, like, all right, I'm going to front this band as opposed to, like, picking up the drums and shit? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a good question, too. So basically, uh, do, you, do you know, you know? I don't know if everybody here does, but Danny Poulin, who was an original member, uh, founding member of Last Ride, uh, a.k.a. Lost for Words eventually. And then he, he, you know, he joined Lions Lions and, you know, worked for Johnny Cupcakes. Uh, work for SJC, kind of a dude that's been part of, you know, the community of Boston. We actually, funny enough, we kind of had beef over some girl when we were younger and, like, we are going to fight each other. And that became us being friends because, like, we had mutual friends that were kind of like the the OGs in our neighborhood and kind of like, nah, you guys are going to be friends. You're not going to fight each other. Fuck that. So we kind of became friends and we had a class together in high school when he was a freshman. And I was like, yeah, man, I was like, you're singing. He's like, well, let's start a band. Come over to my house after school and let's fucking... Let's jam. And we did. And we just kept fucking doing it. And yeah, that was that. So I just kind of was like, yeah, I can kind of sing, bro. And he's like, all right, let me fucking see what you got. And we started the band. That's awesome. I feel like those stories you were telling earlier about being a kid, like you were, those were your training wheels. Like you were kind of setting yourself up for that at some point. You were manifesting it. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I like it was, it was just so good to just see like the thing about punk that I really loved was I felt like part of something. I felt like I belonged because I always like didn't really fit in. Like, you know, I loved, you know, I loved hip hop and stuff, but like, you know, I never really found a community because in my school was a bunch of fucking, you know, people that like like country and fucking you know like like you know alternative music i don't know i just didn't really find it but once i found punk i really found friends in my own you know in my own like my own neighborhood and you know then i just you know started going to boston and shit and i was like you know started meeting all the homies the south shore hardcore kids like con of arabia death for dishonor you know all these bands that like these some of these dudes are just my friends like i don't even know them from fucking being in hardcore bands like they were just my dudes and they kind of helped me shape my career and like when they saw me going to shows like dude what the fuck are you doing here you know what i mean and then Absolutely. you know then they they just took me in under their wing you know what i mean and you know signing to rock vegas records and being on an all predominantly you know hardcore label you know we were treated like one you know yeah so it sounds like the the sound was organic it wasn't just uh you you put together and tried a bunch of different things you kind of found where you felt like you belonged and it, it kind of went from there yeah i mean 
see, the thing was, is like, we were really fucking like, you know, last ride was like super emo, an emo, 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 emo band. Like I even wore those fucking fake glasses with like, like someone to look like River, River Cuomo. You know what I mean? Like I had no, I was, I was on an identity crisis, fucking baggy jeans, youth large shirts. I, if someone could have slapped the shit at me, I wish they did back then. Cause I had no fucking clue uh, what was going on. Like I had my little Tom fucking DeLong crooked Hurley hat with a little lip ring. that looked like I got caught by a fish at the, at the local fishing pond. So you know, I was going through my identity crisis as far as like, you know, what I like musically, you know, just being kids, man, figuring it out. But uh, yeah, man, I, I just uh, like once I found punk band, it just changed my life, you know? Yeah, because like that was when when the early days of Last Ride, that was like the heyday of like, well, maybe not in the heyday, like but that was right when like drive through records was breaking through and early days of victory. Yep. Once victory started getting into like the Thursdays and things like that. So like the oh, 2001, 2002 timeframe. Yep. That was, that was that, that base. We, so we started the band in 2000, um, you know, and, 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 and like we actually did meet up with Richard, uh, Richard, was it Richard Rain. I don't remember his last name, but uh, Richard from drive through, we actually went down there and showcase and that was an interesting experience. So I'm trying to think Maddie. So I obviously saw you guys in 0304, but I remember like a huge, like, holy shit moment for me with you guys was I log into purevolume.com main front page a loss for words bro. bullets leave holes I was like holy shit this is amazing bro, huge deal for us homie that's a, man you are good with your facts bro <laughs> absolutely um, that was a big fucking deal for us man because you know that Vanna had just got their record deal from pure volume too you know oh yeah so that like because so those dudes are from Boston and I, I didn't know and I don't really I, I lost touch with them because I remember we went to the Pure Volume headquarters back in the day and we were like, this is sick, man. I got a fucking Pure Volume shirt and a fucking was ripping like, you know, vodka, Red Bulls when that was like just becoming the thing. You know, I was like 21 years old, 22 years old in Austin. It's like, fucking we made it, man. We're at Pure Volume headquarters, like doing big <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was, that's funny you said that. That was such a special feeling because like, I remember like getting like the, the email, like, you know, that we, you know, that we got it and we are just, it was like, yeah. You would have thought that we just signed a fucking $1.6 million, you know, record deal with Sony Records, but we just were on the front page of Pure Volume for a week. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's that got to feel awesome, right? It's your first time kind of making a little bit of noise and having people take notice of you guys. That, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, you know, even for our friends and, and just, like, people that, you know, A, just for, like, it was just an achievement because so many of our favorite bands were on there and so many other bands got, like, deals or whatever from that. Yeah, so our friends, like, it's kind of... That's kind of around the honestly. It's kind of around the time frame when like people really started being like it like felt like different. Like it felt like people were like like we started making fans from other towns and like you know obviously like you know people from other states in the New England area and we're kind of like this is weird. Like people like like us now. I think this is like you know it was around that bowl sleeve holes era actually. Oh, that's awesome, man. I mean that that's kind of a stepping stone. That's when you know like you've kind of hit some kind of milestone to move to the next phase, right? So and at that yep, time yep. you're. You're paying, you're playing all sorts of mixed bills too, right? So you, you're exposed to just all sorts of different kinds of fans. Yeah, honestly, that that's I think that's a big part. And, and me and my buddy, my buddy Jeff, who's uh, who's sitting next to me right now, say hi, Jeff. How y'all doing? Um, hey, Jeff. That's hey, my Jeff. buddy. That's my buddy so, who's helped me drive across country. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically, what you just said right there, playing shows mixed genres. Me and Jeff were talking about that earlier. I think that kind of had a, and and obviously, you know, I I, I know I know you, Anthony. You kind of you know been seeing us from the beginning in all different areas but like hardcore kind of made us who we are and like it, it like we thought of normal 
for for a band like us to be playing hardcore shows and, and it was to a certain extent you had bands like saves a day new phone glory and fast break and some of those bands that were affiliated with the hardcore scene but like we were like really deep in like the boston hardcore scene and like i, I it was so normal to me and so natural that i didn't really realize that it was kind of cool until we started touring and people were like like yo man like you guys are like those like really like tough pop punk kids who like play hardcore shows and we're like what do you what do you mean right and they're like yeah man you guys play those like scary shows and people like beat the shit of each other and we're like yeah but like you don't play those shows either like what do you what do you mean like uh, everyone plays those kind of shows you know what i mean like that's an you know, awesome we're point. like at, yeah we're at like shows and dudes are getting hit fucking like chains and baseball bats and we're like you know it just I'm not saying it was, you know, cool or this, that, and the other thing, but it was just normal to us. You know what I mean? We, that, that was what we knew. No, you're right. It's very regional uh, specific because, you know, I'm out here in California now, too. Like you said, you're moving out from L.A. And it's like that kind of scene doesn't exist here. You know, that's not normal here. Here it's all chill, you know, whatever. There's obviously the punk scene, but it's definitely not a hardcore punk scene or like any kind yeah. of bills where people are getting beat up. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I mean obviously now I think, it, I think that it's way more accepted now to tour. Like, you have bands like The Story So Far touring with, like, Rotting Out or whatever. But, like, I think that – I mean, I don't want to take credit, but I think we ca- we carry the torch from, like, a band like Saves the Day in the movie life into, you know, your, your title fights and your story so far as, you know, playing with hardcore bands. I think we help keep that socially acceptable. Like, I, I mean, I don't mean – someone might have something else to say, but, I, I like, I, I don't think that someone can fucking disagree with that uh, because, you know, we were playing some of the most violent shows, festivals, and – you know, we, well, no one else was doing that, and I and I think that you know we just kept that that torch alive. We weren't the first to do it, at all by all means, but you know we definitely were playing shows with. We played shows in Cincinnati with Tyrant, Suffocate Faster, and Rhinoceros. You know, all these violent straight edge bands, and you know I'm fucking drunk off my ass playing in between them, and they totally accepted me for for who I was, and like Hell not yeah. a lot of bands could go step in that. And we played on a fucking wrestling ring, and not many people, <laughs> not many motherfuckers could step on that ring. So, Maddie, it's funny you say that because, like, in that Northeast Boston area scene, there's no one, there's no band that could jump from a Junction 18 front runner cadence show to a show with Vanna one the next night. Maddie, you still there? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm still here. Someone, someone just tried to call. Actually, Joe Hardcore just tried to call me. Oh. <laughs> Bring him into the combo. Straight edge dudes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Joe Hardcore just called me for, for, for the record. Actually, and the reason he's, he called me, you know, and sorry, obviously this podcast is a little different because I'm driving. But yeah, actually, I just listened to his podcast. Yeah. Um, this is Hardcore Fest, uh, which is really cool. I listened to the episode with him and Tim Bora, who owns Sound Talent Group. And I listened for three hours and it was fucking incredible. So speaking of a straight edge OG, Joe Hardcore is also a dude that put me on This Is Hardcore. And did a lot of things for my band too, so that actually will kind of, kind of, I felt like uh, the world just helped us right there. No man, he he's got a good thing going. I've listened to a few episodes with Chris Wren he had on there, and he had um, a few others. But um, that's actually a perfect segue because what I was saying is, uh, there's no band from that Boston Northeast scene that could go from playing a show with Junction 18, the Front Runner, Cadence, and that crew, to the next night playing with Vanna, to the next night playing with COA, Colin of Arabia, and Guns Up. And I think it helps you guys, right? Like, I don't, some people might see that as like, you don't know your identity, but I think that totally helped you guys. Well, I, I think, I think, well, I think both things, what you just said are absolutely correct. I didn't know my identity. We, all we knew is that we didn't fucking care if you were cool, we we're playing with right, you. Totally. I don't care if you're a ska band, a metal band, new metal band, whatever. Like, if you were cool people, like, we're playing. And I don't, I'm not, I wasn't afraid to ever play in front of somebody. Someone wants to heckle me, like, we can, we can talk about that after the show. <laughs> which, which honestly, never really happened 
except for going on tour with Street Lit Manifesto, some of those like snobby, like, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of like instrument, you know, snobs were kind of like, you know, these guys don't have horns, fuck them. But like, I mean, to be honest, other than that, to be real, we didn't really get heckled or made fun of anywhere. Obviously, sometimes, you know, people don't like bands or whatever, but no one really ever fucking heckled me or nothing like that. But like, yeah, I think that was kind of a big part of our band was like, just like you said, like we could go play, you know, with like, you know, the front runner, which was a great shout out, by the way, front runner and the cadence and all them, like, you know, which were very good friends of ours, play with Vanna the next night and then play with Death Sport of Honor and Call of Arabia. And that's okay. And people accepted us in each fucking scene. And I thought that was very cool and very special. So you guys are playing these shows. You're, you're kind of finding yourself. You're putting things together. When do you realize you want to start, you know, recording and, and putting out music and seeing how that goes? I mean, we started recording from a very early stage because Danny Poulin was in a hardcore band called Every Last Day, you know, from the South Shore. Like, and they, you know, like, you know, they never got big or toured or anything, but, you know, they were doing the thing already. They were like, you know, Danny was in a band when he was 11 years old, 12 years old, playing with like 18-year-old kids in high school. And like some awesome, it was kind of like Year like year of Our Lord or In Flames or some kind of like, almost like almost like metal hardcore. And uh, he had recorded at a place called Guilty Dog Studios where Junction 18 recorded their record. So he already had the experience of like knowing like, hey guys, we're going to all put our money together. Every time we come to practice, everybody puts in five bucks. And once we get the money, we're going to, you know, it was like $20 an hour at the time or $25 an hour, whatever it was. And then we're going to book time. We tracked on eight at tapes, you know, like mm-hmm. it was like an eight track or something like that. So we had like eight, you know, eight tracks that we could just, I don't know, it was fucking crazy, bro. Like how different it was back then. Yeah, man. And we just, we just went in, recorded our first record, which was called The Tales of Broken Hearts and Goodbyes. I... We, we printed, uh, Danny had a colored printer, which was which was pretty, like, cool then. Uh, and we printed, uh, we, we all went to his house, and his girlfriend had helped us make um, the CD covers. And we burned the demos, and we sold them at school. And once we nice. sold enough records, you know, sold enough records, which we did, because we, we all played, like, sports or were in the punk bands or, I mean, like, was in the punk community or skateboarders. We all had different, like, little cliques we hung with. And they all supported us, really, to be honest, even though we sucked. And we funded the next recording. Mm-hmm. And then that recording funded the next recording. That's awesome. And that all kind of compounds until around 2005, you dropped your first EP. Yeah, yeah. The first yeah, the first EP was on the one you talking about, the one on Rock Vegas Records on uh, with the Lost Chords. Yeah, these past five years, yeah. Yeah, these past five years. Yeah, man, that was... So that was when I, I feel like we, quote-unquote, became a real band. Like, nice. we... It, it felt different. We were on a hardcore label that, like, had you know acts that were touring everywhere and what happened was a coa and 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 another dude chris mission who was like a pretty you know uh big deal in the hardcore scene at the time and they started giving us contacts and helping us book shows in other cities um and we started diy touring colin of arabia took us on one of our first tours it was colin of arabia crime and stereo and ambitions which was members of with honor and so basically i mean we started touring with hardcore bands that's how we we toured with that band, The Homefront, yep. back in the day, which was members of Guns Up and Ghost Inside. Yeah, man, we just, that's how we learned how to fucking do it, man. Colin, Colin taught me the ropes. He taught me, like, you know, you make, you know, and obviously the way, you know, hardcore touring and DIY touring into, you know, touring professionally is different. He'd be like, hey, man, you made 500 bucks tonight. I'm going to give you guys 200 and we're taking 300. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and he like, but he took care of us, bro. He really did. He took care of us and like taught us like, you fucking share with your, with your people. You don't, you, you know, you, you like, you help each other. You don't, you know, I don't know. It, it, it makes sense. If you know, Colin, it makes sense. And, and I, and I, I owe a lot to him as far as becoming a man and being in this music industry. Yeah. He was just a great guy. And a great front man. 
Great front man. Yeah, yeah great front man. <laughs> One of a kind. Henry Rollins 2.0, baby. Yeah, I just remember uh, seeing him with giant chains around his neck. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, those, those were the chains I was talking about. Not not um, uh, Allegedly, he had chains around his neck. Allegedly, I don't know yeah. about that, but, you know, allegedly. And I and there's, there's some great pictures of that. So, yeah, no, it's, it's fucking funny. Like, yo, Return to the Pit. Shout out to Return to the Pit because sometimes you just see some of the best fucking pictures come up on there. Uh, you know, pictures of me in the crowd wearing, like, fucking Youth Large Death Waters Honor shirts <laughs> and, like, you know, weird shit, fucking Mad Ball shirts that I wish I still had would even be able to fit on one arm if I did have them. <laughs> yeah. We talk about that stuff all the time because, like, those kind of shows or, like, those moments and, like, going back and seeing those photos, like, retrospect, like, that was like pre iPhone, you know, that was like pre YouTube, like, or at least YouTube was like just getting started. Like, it's just not, we talk about it on here all the time. Like those times cannot be repeated. That was like a time and place. It's, they, it's very, they, cannot re- they can, they cannot be repeated. And yeah, I talk about this stuff all the time. Obviously it's good, good time to reminisce those old times. I mean, it was so fucking dangerous to be at Brockton and Romans, which my family owns the bar right next to Romans, the shoe city tavern. The, the Mallard? And they still do, by the way, my family still owns that bar. And it's in the hood, the Lith- Lith- Lithuanian village. And bro, like, there, there, like you said, there's pre pictures on 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 cell phones. So like, they only let like Return to the Pit, Future Breed, um, Rev, like a few people take pictures there, man. And like, there was a lot of crazy fucked up shit that happened. That once it happened, those camera guys knew to put their phone down and let it be because if they if they didn't, they'd have to answer to somebody else, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. There was a lot of crazy shit going on, getting people getting thrown through the fucking firewall. Uh, that fire alarm would go off. I'm sure you guys, if you guys went there, remember that? Like, you knew, like, just someone just got fucking tossed right out the fucking door. Fucking someone got thrown down a flight of, you know, like, just it was crazy shit happening. It was a, it was a war inside those, those doors. And I, I miss those days so much. They're the best days of my life. I, I wouldn't trade those days for the world, you know? So, Maddie, I, uh, I went to school in Northeastern, which is half of our campus was in, is in Brockton. And, uh, yep. That was like such a breath of fresh air when Romans originally Romans are putting on shows. But yeah, if I look at some of those Return of the Pit photos, you can see me pinned to the wall in the back corner. I was like, that's that's my place. That's where I belong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's the thing, bro, is like, you know, there, 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 there was there was a place for everybody there. You just had to you just had to know it. Like, oh, totally. You know what I mean? Like some people just I mean, I, I had multiple because obviously I, I was a, I was. You know, I'm a, I'm half bro. You know what I mean? I, I don't really have any true identity, but I had a lot of bro friends come through and shit. And like, you know, different homies in my hardcore scene, you know, were fucking beating the shit out of them because they wanted to push pit. And then my friends are telling them like, bro, chill the fuck out. And then they wouldn't. And then one <laughs> homie said another homie, and I'm like, stop, stop, come on. You know what I mean? But like, at some point, you kind of gotta let it go too, because you're like, he told you to stop pushing him, right. and you continue to push him. He then punched you in the face. Sorry, homie, like you're my boy, but like he's my boy too, and you're not understanding where you're at right now. I, I can confirm that Tuan is uh, uh, Anthony's c- picture in the back corner because he sent us a couple on occasion on Instagram. He's like, hey, do you see this guy's arm? I'm behind him. <laughs> I'm like, there he is. But I've also seen some ones where he's up front and he's got, a, he's, you know, he's got, a, he's got his face on. He's having his time. So I, I know he's done both. Yeah, I mean, the thing about, you know, Brock, and obviously there's different kinds of shows. See, and that's the thing is like for, I don't know, obviously I know Anthony, you know, bunch of hardcore shows and pop punk shows and whatever but i don't know about the you know everybody here but like you gotta know where you're at because even within the hardcore scene you have you know we were listening to half hard earlier you know we were listening to fucking like you know like you know just multiple bands but if you're at a death Water death Water honor show 
if you don't want to get hurt, whatever, you know, stand in the back and you probably won't, but there's still a chance. And if you're at a have heart show, yeah, it's going to be okay to go up front and sing along. Like that's the vibe. Sometimes people just couldn't, couldn't catch the vibe. A have heart right. show is different than a death threat and hundred demon show. That's just what totally. it is. You got to, you got to know where you're at, you know, have heart and guns up. People are going to want to jump on each other and, you know, sing along and it's, it's different, but you know, any, any real hardcore kid, knows like what the rules are there's there's unwritten rules and that's awesome so after four years of grinding those shows and whatnot 2009 you dropped your first album uh the kids can't lose yeah the kids can't lose i think came out yeah in 2008 2009 for sure yeah that was a that was a big deal for us because we had done our two records on uh, rock vegas records one of them you know being uh, Kristen Danbury herself was was our was our lead lead model on that one, and then yeah, then we we jumped into the the kids can't lose, which was our first full length. Um, we just felt we were at the point of time where people wanted to hear, you know, more than five songs from us. And yeah, man, we did a DIY, and we ended up selling like I mean, fuck, I think we sold like ten thousand plus copies. And then we got we we signed actually we signed a record deal in Japan with our friend Mizuki. Um, he was working for a company, I think what was the old label was called. God damn, uh, in and out records, in and out records. Oh yeah, um, nice. And like the mo- the movie life and Four Year Strong and a bunch of bands were on that label. And we had uh, yeah, we had toured Japan and had a record deal in Japan before we did America. And actually, now that I think of it, that's kind of fucking cool. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, that just shows that that momentum was starting to build. Like your first tour out of the country was in Japan. So the tours go from those small club shows you were referencing to going international to Japan, which is notorious for their fandom of just anything rock music yeah man i mean like so the kids can't lose record is always going to be such a nostalgic such a uh such an accomplishment so many memories um you know we did a tour with uh actually this is a funny story that record wasn't going to come out in time so we actually released an acoustic ep called webster lake because we got a tour with four years strong this is hell and i'm the avalanche and we were promoting an acoustic uh record because the people recording the record couldn't get it done in time. Like we had it all planned out. Foyer told us, "Yo, we're proud of you guys. You guys have always been good friends of ours. We're gonna take you guys on tour, get a record out." And we literally recorded a record, paid like fifteen thousand dollars to do this record, and it just didn't work out the way we wanted to. And it was such a break, you know, a, like a like a like a heartbreaking experience. But you know, we recorded with our friend Chris Current, one of the best dudes ever. Uh, an acoustic record and dropped it and just try to keep the momentum going and it's such a crazy thing like we always found a way to do something even though it didn't make sense but yeah more of the story is man that kids can't lose generation was when things really started picking up we did our record release at the icc church in the basement because they, they double booked our show and we're like we can't fucking not have our show and literally 750 people showed up and paid and i think that was i think we broke fire code by like four times the amount of people it was fucking raining it was fucking raining in the basement. My stepfather came in, watched two songs, and just shook his head at me and left. Like, in a funny <laughs> way, like, hey, kid, I love you, but this isn't fucking flying kind of shit. You know what I mean? Like, well, the basement was tiny. The, there was, the basement it, was tiny there. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, we sold so much merch. We had so much fun. We had Four Year Strong as our special guest. Like, it was just, it was fucking wild, bro. I mean, that was, that whole CD, um, we just, we got to do so many different things, man uh on that record and we did it all ourselves man we did diy like straight up no record label so maddie i know like at up up to that point kind of following you guys for probably six years or seven years or whatever it was i could tell the momentum shift as a fan because like 
I'm assuming at that point you're probably getting write-ups on like Absolute Punk and like nationally you're starting to get some buzz. Could you guys in the band feel that? Like, did you could you feel it getting real? No, absolutely, man. I mean, like, it, what kind of happened is, and, and you know, like we started touring a bit, and just like our friends would be excited. Like, that's when, it, like, we started writing some. You know, I don't think we were ever the best songwriters, but I think we had some cool songs. You know, I think we had some fun songs that our friends really liked. But I think once we started touring, once we started getting out there, we were starting to play with bigger bands, and our friends were getting excited. When our friends got excited, they came to more shows, and those kids coming to more shows made it so other kids wanted to come to you know what i mean people that would see us that are friends with the other bands or whatever started getting behind us and touring you know making more friends and then their friends coming to our shows like we just started seeing the growth it just felt different like we felt like and it wasn't like it made us like we didn't act any different but we we're like holy shit like yeah like we're touring and like people are coming and like you know even though we're only doing three three to five hundred dollars in merch like we're we're paying for our tours with like people are showing up it's cool yeah at that point are you guys full-time full-time band or are you still doing your kind of day jobs and hoping that this oh, thing goes we we work day jobs our whole like we we found in between in between our jobs our whole career i mean there was never a point where we made we never make we never made a dime our our, our money came right in and then went right back out into the business mm-hmm. or on on fucking buying bottles of alcohol and beer to, to get to the you know to the next, but the like, next stop <laughs> yeah we didn't you know like we didn't really ever make any money put in our pockets it was always just going to buying flights to the UK, flights to Japan. And then, you know, those tours would break even. We do another US tour, make like five grand, put it in the bank. You know what I'm saying? Like we always just funded ourselves to keep going. Pretty cool way and, to see the world though, right? Dude, hundred percent, man. Like I always say to everybody, we were, su- we were successful. And some people think success is money and not nece- it's not necessarily money. It was like the, we got to experience so much culture and make so many friends, you know, which kind of tied into me you know, expanding the second chapter of, of, you know, of my life and get into management and, you know, doing other things, you know, I'm saying that really kind of paved the way is making all those relationships organically. That's awesome, man. I mean, we all dreamt about like traveling the world when we were in high school and stuff. So the fact that you actually did, and we were all like, we're all the same age group. So you actually did. And then, you know, paid your way, even if it was like a, a break even, like we're pretty, we get pretty technical on the business savvy stuff. So like it was a break even analysis, but damn dude, you're traveling the world. It's rad. And yeah. So that- yeah, we, 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 oh, go ahead. I was going to say all that kind of compounds to the fact that, you know, come 2011, then you actually do get a, a record label deal in 2011. Yeah, man. I mean, so basically, well, there, there was actually, so there was two things. I think the Motown cover record, which we just dropped again um, on Pure Noise Records. Um, nice. I can't really give all the details on the first label, but they kind of dropped the ball on us. But I don't want to really get into that too much just because I don't want to, like, cause any beef or nothing, nothing like that. But it was... Kind of a fucked up situation. Um, But basically, we released the record again on Pure Noise Records, actually, you know, a a little bit ago, and we're stoked on that. But that record came out, and we even did a record release show that sold out with the Wonder Years of State Champs, and we had no records to sell. Anyways, that might have been kind of the problem of why, if you can kind of catch my drift and why things weren't going so well, when we sell out a show and do your part, and the other person doesn't fucking show up or whatever. I don't want to, you know, really fucking dwell on that too much. But uh, obviously, you can hear my voice. I'm still a little fucking bitter about it. Anyways. Moving on to, yeah, the next record. We got a record deal, yeah, with Dave Shapiro, who was our booking agent, who worked at the agency group at the time. And he owned Velocity Records, which was a subsidy of uh, Rise Records. And we dropped our record, No Sanctuary, on Warp Tour 2012. Um, Sweet. It, was, it came out a little before that, but that's kind of when it really happened. To be honest, actually, I don't know if anybody really remember this, but 
we were supposed to go on tour with Dance Gavin Dance, uh, where Johnny Craig was in the band, and Johnny had relapsed, and the tour got canceled. So our record release tour actually got canceled. Oh shit! And that was a really that's a tough thing. So if you're not hearing what I'm saying, is our CDs didn't come in, our records didn't come in for uh, the actual uh, record record release, and then our record release tour got canceled. You know when it happened. So we always had. It was always, it just was never easy for us. So, Maddie, I'm curious, like, you see in, like, all these movies and shit, like, when bands get signed to labels, they get flown out for the label showcase and things like that. So, <laughs> how, how was it for you guys to get with Rise? Like, was it just natural? Like, they knew you from the scene and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, fuck. I mean, that, see, you know what's funny, though? That's what fucking kids from my high school and shit. Like, yo, man, you fucking must be fucking loaded now, dude. Fucking <laughs> go to record deal, homie. You know what I mean? Like, you fucking made it, bro. Um, and, like, yeah, it was cool. Like, like, we were so stoked. And fucking Rise and Velocity, you know, did as much as you can for a band like us on our level. And I'm fucking forever grateful to Sean Haydorn, Craig Erickson, uh, Dave Shapiro. I mean, just fucking great people. But, yeah, man, we met actually at a – there was a venue called Cobalt Cafe – in California, and a bunch of uh, my homies. Uh, actually, Luis from Alfred Omega was security there. You know, a few other homies were working there. But we played a show there, and, to be, and, and it was actually really crazy. Our, our bassist, Mikey, it's a crazy story. I won't get too much into it. But basically, his father had passed away when we were on tour and had to cancel some dates with Transit and Kid Liberty. And then we ended up playing out at the Cobalt Cafe with the Sheds. Um, it might have been the story so far. I don't know if we might have had them on that little leg. We brought them on a little leg. I don't remember if they were on that show. But anyways, we played, and Timmy from Transit actually was filling in for us when Dave Shapiro came to see us, liked oh, us, wow. and signed us that night. Damn. Uh, so, Tim, yeah, RIP Tim Landers, uh, Timmy from Transit, such a big part of our band. Transit was such a big part of our band. Um, but actually, I, 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 you know, I wrote to his parents um, on the little book of, like, Memories – at the wake and i said just to let you know your son got us the record deal not mikey <laughs> like like just you know just like you know it's a little fact that i give i bust mikey's balls all the time about it i was like yo it wasn't with timmy bro we wouldn't have got that deal homie like you know what i mean because you know mikey we had to deal with this family shit you know and obviously you know mikey's my brother actually i'm moving back in with him when i get home so yeah so so yeah so the long story short is yeah we got a record deal that night and you know it's really hard i mean we got you know a, a nice record deal for what it is you know we drove down to florida recorded our record with andrew wade but i mean yeah there's no there was no fucking champagne bottles there might have been a <laughs> bottle of whiskey that we bought ourselves uh you know there might have been though. a few there might have been a few blunts a few cigarettes uh but there was definitely no uh yeah there, yeah, there was no fucking strippers and fucking champagne bottles flying as much as maddie would have liked that and and, I, and i've had nights like that you know I've had nights like that in the past 10 years since then, but it wasn't that night. That's funny. I feel like those stories only exist in like early 90s, 80s, 70s, like anything our age, like we're all the same age. Like that stuff doesn't Seriously. Really exist. I wanted to, we, we, <laughs> we grew up seeing those. We grew up seeing those VH1 behind the scenes and shit, man. Exactly. And I'm like, I want to fucking live like that, homie. Like, what do you think I'm in a band for? hundred <laughs> percent. Even as a fan, like I've been backstage. Drug, sex and, and to- rock and roll, bro. That's what I'm in it. Exactly. That's the record exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've been to those parties and stuff, and it's like everyone's just chilling, quiet. It's very PC. It's like, oh, damn. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But, like, it's definitely, yeah, definitely not what they think it is. But um, kind of going back to that kind of framework of the album signing. So clearly it was a, it was a three-record deck, uh, three deal, right, with Rise? 
it was yep it was it was one record with two options yep and so we noticed like you know your influences influences are shining through on on these records so like your harmony your melody the things we were kind of alluding to earlier like your upbringing and like that sound was starting to really come through on this that was obviously like progression and and you finally had a label that was able to support that I, I mean it was it was really cool to have that backing yeah honestly so when when we uh when this when this podcast comes to an end because of my phone dying so make sure you put this on the podcast i know you guys are gonna edit it or whatever I'm I'm so punk rock that I wasn't gonna not do this interview with my friends. I'm driving across country, illegally holding, allegedly illegally holding this phone in my hand, and this phone will die, and the podcast will end. And <laughs> that is that is me as a person. That's how I live my life. I love and it. I want you. That is. I want rock. you all to know oh, yeah. that I wasn't gonna miss this podcast. And I'm having so much fun, and we'll continue until my phone fucking dies. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you don't have another podcast that has a dude that has these kind of stories and has his phone fucking die. As he's driving across country to move home. We don't. Dude. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and you sang for us. So, I mean, we, we've, we've hit the trifecta right there, man. So, Maddie, we uh, – so one, one thing I wanted to – I've actually always kind of wondered this. So, I remember a few years ago, I'm watching uh, NFL primetime football, and I hear fade-out music to commercial, a loss for words. And I'm like, wait, what? Did I hear that right? How did that happen? Bro, you know what? I, I, I gotta I gotta take you over for a beer when I get up to Portland next time because you 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 you're just fucking you just you have a good memory, but to be real man I, like I don't see it's, it's hard because I don't really think about things that like all the time but wow that was fucking cool right I mean like because I, I remember in the playoffs it had happened a couple times yeah but I remember watching with my two best friends uh my my the Wall brothers uh my buddy Pat Wall had just had his fourth kid and we were there with with their dad who's like a fucking dad to me. Uh, his wife, a couple of her friends, myself, and, and, the, and the kids. And all of a sudden, my homie goes, bro, 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 you're on the fucking, they're playing your song. And I'm like, wait, what? And I like, I run into the to the, to the living room because it was like, you know, whatever. And I heard it. I was like, what the fuck was that? And I swear my phone was blowing up too. And, and surprisingly from friends that have obviously been paying attention to us that I didn't even know, like friends like from high school I haven't talked to and shit. And they're like, dude. Was that your song on the on the NFL Super Bowl? And I was like, yes. Uh, and that was such an incredible feeling. Such an incredible feeling. And we got paid nothing. Of course. <laughs> I actually no. We might have got we might have got paid point zero 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 one cents, yeah. something like that. But yeah, I mean it, that that was a. But just just to be to have our music on there was such a huge accomplishment. And I was so thankful to the label and to everything they had going on. Obviously, that was something on their doing. And I remember thanking Sean Hadorn. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you in transit. I think us in transit run it or something like that or oh, man shit. overboard or something. But I just said, thank you so much, man. And he's like, no, of course. And yeah, they always showed us love, man. And little things like that. I don't know if it was their doing or I, I don't know how it happened, but it fucking happened. So whoever did it somehow, small chance you're listening to me talk and ramble on as I drive home. Thank you for uh, for helping me live one of the biggest accomplishments of my life. I mean, whoever was in charge of production that night was a fan, right? And local probably. So, hey, awesome. And if they're listening, yep. thank you for listening to us, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maddie, that was uh, a few years ago. And then if we continue the timeline, so in, after, what, 15, 16 years of being a band, in 2015, you guys have your last show at the Palladium. I went. I think it was sold out. Killer show. Great openers. Was that a long time coming, or was it just like you knew it was time? I've always been kind of curious about that. Yeah, so, I mean, so here's the deal. is like we are all still best friends. We are all still cool. There was never any quarrels i mean we had our quarrels all the time we're brothers we used to fight the shit of each other all the time but like as far as like you know we're family and families fight 
But there was never any problems or a time that was like, you know what, fuck, we're not doing this anymore. Never happened. Those conversations never happened. Yeah. What it, what what had happened was I'm on ten percent, guys. Just with a heads up. Okay. Uh, but uh, but as a what happened was is Marky came to my house and we were gonna we were just we signed up for Slam Dunk Festival or whatever. And we had the most difficult conversation I've ever had as far as that band goes. And it was very, like, emotional. My parents were, were out of the house or whatever. And I was like, you know, and he's like, hey, man, I got an offer to do this new job. And it's it's it's, it's what I got to do. And I, I don't think I could tour full time anymore. Obviously, I'll do whatever you guys want to do, write music or play shows that I can. But I, I can't tour anymore. And I, and, I, and I was like, all right, cool. Well, like, you know, you can do slam. We'll do, like, a whole world tour together. And then we'll call it a day. And he's like, I, I, I can't. Like, I, I can't. I can't tour anymore. Like, and, and I was like, all right, well, I can't do this without you. Like you, you, me and Mikey are the band without one of us. It's not a loss of words anymore. Like we gotta, we gotta call it. And he's like, well, when do you want to tell the guys? I was like, I'll tell them, I'll tell them in, in Europe. I'll tell them in Europe. Cause Mikey and Christian, our drummer at the time, you know, had, had, had you know, had just really had no, cause I was, I was managing Paris and stuff at the time. Oh, right on. Yeah. So I, I had some things kind of going on my own too that I could have shifted focus on, you know? And so I, I knew that I was going to be doing stuff, but like, I was so bummed to tell them. And honestly, I've never really talked about this before. It's kind of cool to talk about, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very sad moment for all of us, but you know, we're like, fuck it. We're going to do a full world tour. We're going to have fun. We're going to live out this moment, ride it out. And we're going to, you know, do a last show. And you know, that's what it's going to be. And, you know, and the last show thing was obviously a huge accomplishment, you know, sound up the downstairs palladium with all of our friends. But the thing was, you know, even though we've done shows since then, that was, a, that was, we retired as a full-time touring band. So, you know, yeah, we'll probably do a show here and there. Like we just did some shows again, the No Sanctuary Records coming up on an anniversary. Like, you know, um, we might do an acoustic thing uh, for the holidays to raise uh, money for homeless kids to get toys. Nice. Uh, we did that same thing last year in California for the children with Nate from Zabalba and his thing. But yeah, so we'll do some shows, but that, that was our last our last show, retired as a full-time touring band, and, you know, I couldn't have been happier, you know, had Lynn and singing guest vocals, Joe B. from Trans and sing guest vocals, we had all the different members coming up and playing with us, we had sold out the downstairs Palladium, which was always a lifelong dream, that was more important to me than the Super Bowl commercial, um, all that stuff, like, it, we really, we really fucking did it. So you, you jumped into artist management, you just talked about it a little bit, um, managing other bands, that's kind of what you're doing now, right? I mean, obviously things have been, this year has been tough as far as that goes, but uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, man, uh, obviously I got my, my career started, I did seven years with a band called Paris, I, you know, helped them from the beginning to the point that we, you know, we had parted ways on, on good terms, I just, uh, I actually just, I'm starting a podcast and interviewed Lynn, who's assisted in me. Uh, yesterday, obviously, the, the podcast thing, I'll have more details on that for uh, people that are interested. It's going to be really cool, really cool thing that I'm stoked on. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I managed a band called Set It Off. Uh, those guys are some of my favorite people. They really uh, stood by my side when I had some ups and downs, and their band is just fucking crushing it. Even during the quarantine, their, their following is going up. It's just been beautiful. I have, you know, baby artists that I'm working on, R&B, hip-hop, uh, rock, you know, everything you can, can, can imagine them and, and really having a good time with it this year is really tough but we're going to get through it positivity gets through everything there's always light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. um just you know moving home right now i'll always find a way to make ends meet and get by uh until the lights come back on but yeah man reclaim music group that's my thing check it out follow my artists if you support me please support them it would mean a lot to me it doesn't hurt to click on a follow button and yeah, man, you know, I got the, my, I got idle hand collective, my, uh, traveling barbershop with Alex from the gaslight anthem and my 
real good friend. He's tour that's doing merch. Eric Zates, who owns Bostonian Barbershop. He has one in Boston, one on the South Shore. You know, we cut it at, backstage at music festivals. Obviously, that's on timeout as well because of COVID. And that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, I got a couple things that I'm going to be working on when I get home, such as the podcast. Mikey and myself are starting a kimchi company, making kimchi and pickled vegetables. Nice. So be in the look for that. And then I was starting to, to sell and trade Disney pins, but Disney closed down. That <laughs> operation got shut down. So it's been a really fucking tough year. But uh, I'm still laughing and smiling and, and, you know, picking on myself, you know. That's awesome, Maddie. Clearly, you still have the intense New England uh, work ethic that's relentless. I mean, you got multiple projects going on, but that's clear you're going back east. Is there anything in store for A Lost for Words? I mean, you're going to be back in the, your old neck of the woods. You're going to be doing gigs or anything like that, you think? I mean, yeah, I mean obviously, COVID. yeah, because of COVID, obviously, it's, it's tough right now. But basically, yeah. like I just mentioned, uh, my boys, I mean, I'll let the cat out of the bag because I'm going to be announcing it pretty much daily now. But I haven't even asked the guys yet. So, Mark and Mikey, when you listen to this, yeah, we're going to be doing an acoustic show. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, nice. Frank, Frankie, Hell yeah. Frank, Frankie and Sean Apopolo, uh, Frankie from Death Without Honor, is doing, uh, him and his wife are doing a uh, uh, charity to raise money for kids. Uh, Shauna has been doing this for a while. And sadly, because of COVID, we can't do it anymore. So uh, they had called me. They're very good friends of mine. Actually, anytime I'm home, I usually stay at their house. Um, there's two of my best friends. Uh, they asked if I wanted to, to contribute. So I'm going to have the boys get together and it'll be for donations. So I'd appreciate if the three of you guys even tuned in and donated a little bit of money to help make, oh, yeah. a, make a kid's Christmas better. But I'll be announcing that probably pretty soon. We'll probably just do something on you know, Facebook Live or whatever and just fucking take donations or whatever. And, uh, you know, Sean and Frank, you're going to go and buy toys and donate to some, some local churches or, or whatever program they affiliate themselves with. So, yeah, so we'll do something acoustic. I uh, haven't done something since last last year when we did For the Children, which is the same event in California. But yeah, we, we definitely, you know, we'll do some things here and there. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, uh, beat the dead horse. But, uh, you know, we love playing. We love seeing each other. We love seeing our old fans and friends at these shows. And um, yeah, man, we're, we're, yeah, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be something for sure. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, so Maddie, we, uh, we know you're running out of juice here. We, um, if we got maybe two or three minutes, we do a quick lightning round of just like, quick quick one hitter questions i'll start us off so maddie i dug deep into the uh internet archive wayback machine to your uh, yep. old myspace page do oh, you no. remember <laughs> what you guys put as your influences on the myspace page uh the june spirit junction 18 the movie life newfound glory saves a day uh i think that's the actual <laughs> answer acceptance that's acceptance? probably the answer. Yeah, that, that's but probably I, I, like I, the acceptance? factual answer. But what you guys put was, uh, quote, cheap 40s and Scott Stapp. Just oh, my God. No, so that was Mikey. Mikey had hacked the, the, the MySpace. <laughs> Yo. That's great. That's oh great. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, cheap 40s and Scott Stapp. So I, I figured you'd love that. That's Yo, what we did. I love we Mikey. Did. Mikey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I need more of these. More of these. Come on, let's go. Can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, we yeah, can we hear got you. you. We got you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get some more of these questions. I like these. Yeah, man. So you were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, we were talking earlier about you going back east, and I, for some reason, the access was, you know, shining in my head that I love that venue on Lansdowne Street. So I gotta ask, what is the hottest venue of all time? The ICC Church or Tiger's Den Romans? Which one is more of a sweltering, you know, temperature oven for a venue? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! But the ICC Church, which you be watching, stamp of approval. No offense, Keith Fiasco, I love you, but maybe one of 
Star Wars <laughs> recorded videos, you can see us just sweating. Oh, dude. And I'm so glad Keith <laughs> got to capture that. But we were, it's funny because, like, there's pictures of, like, someone wearing a hat, and the hat comes off and goes back on. But, like, yo, Keith Piesco, thank you because you fucking captured such a special day in our lives. But it's just the craziest video ever. And there's just so much madness. But you can see the sweat. He did a great job capturing the fucking, like, the emotion and the feeling and I truly was. And that was the fucking hottest show I played, except for a show in Texas where I stripped down on my boxers <laughs> and then kissed this dude that I didn't like's girlfriend on the cheek um, <laughs> in some buttfuck area in Texas because the kid was in a local band who was being an asshole to his girlfriend, and she was a friend of mine, so I kissed her on the cheek in my boxers while sweating, and my wang was flapping all over the place. <laughs> um, and that's a true story. I don't, I don't think we can top that. Yeah, I, I don't think we can top that story. I think that that's going to be the mic drop. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, bitches. What's good? <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Well, Maddie, thank you for coming on, man. This is awesome. And, and drive safe on your way back east. It's snowing this way, man. Awesome. Yo, I want to come up to Portland and get some drinks with you guys when COVID's over. I want you guys to fucking find your local fishermen and get me some lobster. I miss I miss my Portland lobsters. Uh, but yeah, pleasure to be on this podcast. Really stoked for you guys. You guys get something cool going on. If I can ever try to help you guys on your way, let me know. And uh, thank yeah. you guys. I appreciate it. We'll find you some lobster. It was awesome. Man, Maddie's the man coming from New England. We're all obviously like homies coming, kind of growing up in the same general area. What do you guys think of that? That was cool. Um, him driving cross country and uh, actually great phone connection for the most part as far as the sound goes. I was, totally. I was pretty excited about that. No, he, uh, he full energy. Um, the world has kind of changed on a lot of musicians this year and he was, uh, had a positive outlook on things, which was really cool. It's allowed us to talk to people like him and, you know, get some answers from, as Nate said, from our side of the, uh, you know, the stanchion is out in the crowd getting to hear, uh, what it's like on the, on the backstage side. So, uh, very cool for him to come on and, and as he's driving back East to be part of, the northeast again where you know things move a little quicker yeah man that was awesome and, and that conversation really confirmed a lot of the things that i had known about him for a while which was which is just like someone who can't sit still right so it's you got the management company you got the band you got um you know partnership in the 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 barber uh, pop-up and whatnot so that was like that was really cool to hear like and when we see that with a lot of our guests like it, it's people that have their hands in so much and it's definitely a theme with a lot of people in the creative space and uh he's no exception and he answered a lot of questions i've been wanting to know for years so it was i had a smile on my on my face the whole time yeah i agree and i think the part of the interview that really resonates with me is him talking about being a toddler or a child and you know pretending to sing or like singing or sliding across the you know kitchen floor on his knees like bruce springsteen style like stuff like that it's like you manifest everything that you know comes after the fact so he definitely kind of framed that as you know this is what i kind of was obsessed with as a child and became what i ended up doing you know long term which i always think is fascinating like as much as you think it's just a whatever thing you know imagine being like a kindergarten teacher and seeing like some kid like obsessed with building blocks into like some kind of structure like and that guy becomes an architect you're like damn like I was on it. Like I knew it. He was going to be an architect. And uh, the way he framed his story is like he didn't even know if it was really his thing, but he knew he really liked it. And bam, like here he is with uh, his band. So it's really cool to hear the backstory on any of this stuff. For us, it's just pure nerdery. Yeah, Maddie's kindergarten teacher definitely thought that he was a performer. I'm sure of it. Like he just <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> was into it. Like had energy, had especially in, in the, the realm he ended up 
uh, ended up in, you know, the music, the genres that he ended up being around, like there's energy in those rooms. So um, yep. you can see it. He had it. He still does. Uh, and he's still, you know, he's still got his hands in a lot of shit. So check out any of it. We're going to throw um, a lot of links in our show notes for you guys to check out, to, to click on and, um, you know, go and uh, see what he's got going. But yeah, the dude, the dude is a busy man. And uh, even in these COVID times is doing a lot of things to try to, you know, keep things rolling musically and um, be around and, and be part of the world. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he never forgot his roots. You know what I mean? Like he was, you know, we brought up a few things that, you know, obviously put him back in that moment and he got excited about it. And, and it's cool to finally see that uh, Motown record get a proper release. Right. So pure noise, yeah. you know, in, in this scene, massive, massive label. So I hope that does well. So we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll promote that too. It's the, the Motown, um, I'm not sure the formula, but it's Motown classics. Uh, cover album that's coming out on vinyl on pure noise so i'll I'll definitely be checking that out in the physical form check, your, check our sunday spins in the near future it may be there oh you it'll definitely know. be yeah yeah <laughs> but um no that, w- that was really cool one thing i didn't get to so maddie if you're listening to this and you probably remember this but uh my buddy chris and i in college booked you to open for uh the starting line at uh the stonehill college uh sports complex which was, I don't know the capacity, but it was a big event. And uh, it was just you guys and uh, Starting Line. So it's just it's just cool to bring this full circle. Long time coming, and I'm glad he uh, was able to get on the pod. That's awesome. Some deep nerdery there with Tuan on the grassroots of fandom, but also business aspect of booking the band as well. So that's always cool. But yeah, Maddie was great. Super nice guy. And uh, obviously anyone coming from New England, we can totally relate with. And obviously, we just alluded to it with the extreme work ethic. I mean, that's in our DNA. It's undeniable. Um, but also just the true fandom to what music is at the core. And, uh, you know, those shows he's talking about that are, you know, non-replicatable. Uh, they're of a time and place. And us being able to completely relate as a fan and him as a band member, um, we all know that, you know, what we saw and what we've been able to experience is one thing to all be, ex- you know, the same age and graduating high school at the same time. It's really fascinating because it's uh, we were all in the same place, but coming from different angles and meeting in the middle and to do a podcast like this and hear his, hear his backstory is uh, always such a reward and makes this um, just a fascinating thing that we can pull off. So yeah, Maddie, really appreciate you coming on and uh, really stoked to talk to you and, and talk about these backstories. So really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, check us, check our socials soon because uh, he did mention, um, he did mention having a uh, charitable event that he was trying to put together for the, you know, the holiday season coming up here very yep. shortly right now that we're in. Um, if there's a way you can donate a dollar or $5, I know that I'm going to try to do that as soon as he sends us that link. So keep our socials, that's going to be there uh, in the very near future. And if you guys are new to us and this is the first time you've checked us out, we're going to continue to bring these stories to you. Like we, we love to talk to people that were, um, on, you know, the backstage, uh, up on the stage from our, our viewpoint, you know, out in the crowd. We love that shit. That's, that's what we do. It's what we've been conditioned to do for 20 years is, is check these, ma- these bands out, be at these shows and do it together and enjoy it. And now we're trying to do it on, on this level and see if we can't get a few people to talk to us about it. So we got more stuff in the pipe for you guys coming up and we will continue to do this because it's fun. We love it. We love it. So with that, we'll wrap it up. We're going to transition to uh, Hold Your Breath by Lost Forwards off the Kids Can't Lose album. Thanks for checking us out, guys. Appreciate it so much. Peace, potheads. Cheers, y'all.
Dead Shot.